All right, Ephesians 3, still. Okay, beginning at verse 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He should grant to you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Help me, Lord. Help me to try to get a grasp on the depth and the width and the height and the length of this. Father, to understand the fullness of you. Father, that my brothers and my sisters, my friends, can be immersed in this. And that, Father, we would watch you do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Amen. I shared with you that my mom prayed for me and got me sentenced to jail. It was all her fault. <laughs> you know how mothers are. And during that time frame, I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I was biblically illiterate. I was never raised in the church. The only thing I knew about the Bible was the 23rd Psalm, and it was on a little card that this funeral home gave me at the death of my father. So that was the extent of my theology. Which the 23rd Psalm is not a bad place to start, really. But anyway, when I got through a number of different situations that I never prayed for. I just knew that I had messed up and forgive me. That's all I had. The next thing I knew, uh, charges were dropped under a bunch of technicalities, and then they released me. And when they released me, I knew that I needed to find somewhere else to stay. I knew that I would not be safe where I was. I would be back into uh, the proverbial mess. So uh, I packed up and I left and I came to Colorado. I got into Colorado and I found a church. And all I knew is that I needed to be baptized. Because I, I don't even know why I knew that, but I knew I needed to be baptized. So I found a church, uh, actually up in Parker. It was a Wednesday and I went in and I said, I need to be baptized. And the guy said, well, you know, we just did it. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. I mean, they're going to get baptized, or I'm going to go find somebody who will. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really in the mood to press my luck. Sure enough, he baptized me that night. And so then my next question was, okay, what do I do now? His response was, read the Gospel of John. All right, got it. And I was like, why does he want me to start reading in the middle of the Bible? I mean, that's... Front of the Bible, end of the Bible, I can get that, but in the middle? So, okay, this is what the guy said. He baptized me. He knows what's going on. So I read the Gospel of John, and I thought, well, you know, I better read it a couple times. 
And so I read it a few more times. Then I remember uh, I, went, I had gone to Sunday school class and, and, and I left the Sunday school class and I said, okay, I've read John I, five times, I think, man. Uh, what am I supposed to do now? And he says, well, what is it that you do for a living? I said, well, I'm in construction. He says, oh, okay, no problem. He says, well, we need the outside of the building painted. Can you paint it? Yeah, that piece of cake. And so we got a crew of people, and I painted outside of the church. And then I, uh, that was in the early 80s. And I don't know if you, some of you who were around then, the construction business kind of took a big flush. Okay, and I went from making about $75,000 a year to that, uh, I think it was 83, I, I just barely cleared $5,000. And so I lost my business, uh, paid off all my employees, and, and I, I copped an attitude toward God. I thought, you know, I read the Gospel of John five times. I painted the, the building. What's up with all of this? I thought I was a child of the king. So I, I, I did learn a valuable lesson during that time that uh, don't cop an attitude with God. Okay? But what I learned was is that the church as a whole was basically in the conversion business. If I can get you to say a prayer, uh, walk an aisle, maybe even get you baptized, I started noticing different groups were basing their success on the number of baptisms they had. Because I remember the night I got baptized, I was getting baptized with this other guy, and he's a nice guy, friendly as could be. And he said, congratulations and all the rest of it. And, you know, and I said, uh, so, you know, you're getting baptized. And you know what he said? Oh, it's my fourth time. And I was like, you've been baptized four times. I mean, am I supposed to do this weekly? Well, well, I don't understand what this is all about. And so the next thing I know is that uh, anyway, so that again, I had no understanding of the scriptures during that time when I lost everything. That's when I kind of got mad. And I decided I would read the Bible through and I would get all the contradictions that are in there that everybody says is in there. And then I'll just beat the tar out of every Christian who wants to try to get my butt saved. Okay? Doesn't sound like a really good high holy calling, does it? But the thing that I learned was that the church was into converts. That's not what the church is for. The church is to make disciples, to make learners. And a lot of what I see in the body of Christ today is multi-generational of that very model, that mode. And as I look at this text and understand the Apostle Paul's fact that I have given you three chapters of breathtaking theology, I've got to pray that you can get a handle on it. 
because you're not going to walk into this and chew it up yourself. Okay, this this is as far as I'm concerned, these three chapters are way beyond meat and potato theology. Okay, I shared with you that this section, this prayer is a series of henna purpose clauses in the original language. Okay, and basically what it's saying is if you go through it and he starts off there. That I, this reason I bow my knee, okay, or so he's, he's praying, alright, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that, that's the henna. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you would be rooted and grounded in love. So that you can comprehend with the saints. Okay, so what he's doing is, these are steps. They are in order. You can't say, well, I'll start at the third one and then pick up four and five and I'll be ahead of the game. You have to do the first one, then you have to do the second one because the first one will lead to the second one. The second one will lead to the third one. The third one will lead to the fourth one and the fourth one will lead to the fifth one. That's what is lacking in the body of Christ right now. We have some theology, but it's stuck between our ears. It's just, it's, I, can, I can use the terminology. I can speak fluent Christianese. But does it affect your life? And if it does, does anybody see it? Because if it does and it is seen, then you can know that it is Him. This text may be the most crucial text to a Christian in the 66 books of the Bible. Okay? See, Paul understands for this thing to start, the Holy Spirit has to strengthen the inner man. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I, I look at a lot of Christians and they say, well, I was created in God's own image. And I look at him and said, and you returned the favor. You created him in your own image. Okay. Before I came to salvation, the, some of you know all the nasty stuff or some of, not all. <laughs> Thank you. Some of the things that was my background in my life, I always carried a Bible with me. Now think about that for a second. I was middle level management in cocaine trafficking. And I carried a Bible. But it was like a rabbit's foot. I mean, you, this here will bring me good luck. And it did for a long time, but then, then it didn't. Okay, but but that is what I see in the church today. Well, I hope none of you guys are trafficking cocaine. But anyway, but we we kind of have a Bible. You know, I might have a couple of Bibles. I, I read it every once in a while. But, you know, it's hard to understand. But the Bible is what 
God uses in the power of His Spirit to strengthen us in the inner man. And that's how Christ, the next one, that's how Christ dwells in us. That word dwell has a preposition in front of the verb. It intensifies the verb and it literally means he is absolutely comfortable. He ain't running around inside cleaning up all the messes. He's comfortable because I've taken the word of God in the inner man and I am now strengthened. Therefore, Christ is comfortable. When Christ is comfortable, I start understanding a miraculous, abundant love that surpasses knowledge. Once that is fleshed out, then you will understand what it is to be filled with the fullness of God. I started this last week. The word filled is plerato. And it means dominated. I am dominated. I am dominated. Okay? Now, I think about that, and you're like, okay, you know, he is Lord. You know, I heard people say, well, you make him Lord. No, he is Lord. Okay? You don't make him Lord. Okay, he was Lord before creation. All right, so he is Lord. So when you are dominated by him, that means my inner man has been strengthened because of the indwelling word of God that you see in Colossians that led Christ to be comfortable in me. Take your conscience. Okay, conscience is a wonderful thing. We've got married people here and, and they all, we love each other and we're soulmates and all that other. Pfft. My conscience, my wife has no idea about. Okay, and you know what? I'm grateful. All right, now I know none of you guys got that problem, but I know what my conscience is like. Okay, and that's that thing that's supposed to take care of me. All right. And it keeps an eye on me. And th that's difficult. But when you start thinking about your conscience, I want to ask you a simple question. Is the Lord Jesus Christ comfortable with your conscience? Interesting, huh? Because when that happens, guess what happens? You have an abundance of a miraculous life. Love. When that happens, you have a love that the world can't comprehend. And then you are dominated with the fullness of God. I shared with you last week, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, Solomon consecrating the temple. And it finally was finished, and he gives a song of praise. I listen to people tell me about God. People ask me occasionally. I kind of get myself into trouble at times. You know, people will say, are you saved? Or Anyway, what happens is people understand sometimes what I do for a living. 
And, and they'll want to tell me that, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Christian or I'm this or whatever that. And inevitably, I have to come up with that dumb question. I'm a Christian. How do you know? What? Well, how do you know? And they might tell me, you know, well, I was in vacation Bible school, or I was this, I was that, or uh, and so we we go through the rigmarole, and uh, I finally get to get them to the place, and I says, okay, if you're a Christian, I want you to tell me five things about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how difficult that is for people. I, they'll tell you five things. But I'll say, where is that in the Bible? I mean, mean, no, he doesn't look like Jerry Garcia. Come on, people. So when I think about the Lord, I always think about him from what he has revealed by his word. I've shared with you guys over and over a text that is very favorite of mine, but I wanted you to give a little more thought to the detail of the text. Okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. I've shared with you with this text, but let me give you the whole text. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Okay? Marked off the heavens by the span of his hand. Okay, that's pretty impressive if you think about it, right? But it doesn't stop there. And calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Okay? That's God. Go over to uh, Job. The book of Job was the first book that we have in the Bible. Okay. Job 26, 5 and following. The disparted spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him and an Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the empty space, and he hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, and the clouds does not burst forth under them. He obscures the face of the full moon, and he spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the water, At the boundary of light and darkness, the pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the seas with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, These are the fringes of his ways. How faint a word we hear of him and his mighty thunder. 
who can understand. This is the oldest book in the Bible. And do you understand that he understood? It's funny because science for a long time blamed religion saying that the earth was flat. Okay. Job didn't think so. It's literally a sphere and it's hanging on nothing. Job understood that. Job understood that there was a dividing line that went all the way around the earth between light and dark. If you've ever flown international, you've got to play with that every once in a while, and it usually makes you lose sleep. Okay? Job said, that's what God does. Who is God? What a God is our God. Job 27, verse 3. For as long as life is in me, and the breath of God is in my nostrils. That God. That God. Listen. Brothers and sisters, if you go through this and beg him to reveal himself to you, nothing else will be important to you. There will be nothing else you will want to cling to. There will be nothing else that you will want to be dominated by. Cruise on over to Job 36. Now, I always go back to the fact this is the oldest book of the Bible. Okay? And the stuff that is said in here. Okay, this is before you've got Genesis. This is before you've got the making of Israel. This book is a man who has been... Now, see, poor Job, God bless him. He was the most righteous man in the East. But see, he didn't have Job the first three chapters. I mean, in three chapters, he loses all of his family. He loses all of his possessions. He was a very wealthy person, a very prominent person. The only thing he's got is a nagging wife. He gets sores on his body. And his wife says, why don't you just curse, curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Then he gets three friends. They decide, we'll help Job. Job, we know that you've done something against God, and you repent of it, and he'll make this all better. And his friends are clueless. And yet they had insight into God, even though they weren't sure what in the blue blazes was happening. Job 36, verse 5. Behold, God is mighty, but does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. Drop down there to verse 26 to 33. Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable. 
For he draws up the drops of water, they distill rain from the midst, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? The thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning. He commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence. The cattle also concerning what is coming up. Did you see that? I remember. You know what lightning is? It's static. That's all it is. Okay, now it's a big static, but it's static. I was building a house out east, and it was, it was on a hill. I was an electrician on it, and I was putting the mast up. Okay, there's a pipe that goes up through your roof. There's three wires that hang out of it. It goes down to your meter base and out of your meter base into your panel, and that's where your public service hooks onto it and all the rest of it. So I was doing that. Me and I had a helper who was down on the ground. And I'd run these three wires down this pipe, and I was bending them over to put the weather head and all that stuff on it, right? And we're not hooked up to nothing. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Okay? And I was like, okay. And so I bend the wires over, and it's a big gauge, so it's kind of a pain. And the guy down on the ground is hooking the wires into the meter base. All right? All of a sudden, he cusses at me. I'm like, you know, I'm above you, and I've got a hammer. I didn't say that, but it's, you know, there's certain people, if he's above you, leave him alone. He says, what are you doing up there? I said, I'm putting the, the weather head on it. And he said, well, stop. I said, well, no, you got you got to put the weather head on it. And he says, well, why am I getting shocked? And I was like, what? Because <laughs> we ain't got no power. We've been running off a generator. There's no power in the house. But just the wind blowing by those wires out of that weather head was causing almost 110 volts per line. Okay? I'll never forget that. I was working up on Lookout Mountain on a guy. We were on one of the microwave towers, and we had a little storm on the horizon coming. We could see it, and, you know, you you always discharge before you got on a metal tower. And my friend didn't discharge. He reached over to that metal tower, and it went pop and took his wedding ring and melted it right through his finger. I don't wear a wedding ring. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I mean, kind of slick. Because it cauterized and everything. It wasn't like, we've got an issue here. <laughs> okay? It's just static. And yet, who's controlling it? That's amazing to me. Just flat out amazing to me. Chapter 37, verse 5. God thunders with His voice wondrously doing great things which we cannot comprehend. Verse 6, For to the snow, he says, fall on earth, and to the downpour and the rain, 
Be strong. Verse 9. Out of the south comes the storm. Out of the north the cold. 10. From the breath of God, ice is made. And the expanse of the waters is frozen. Verse 11. Also with moisture, he loads the thick clouds. He disperses the clouds of his lightning. He changes directions, turning around by his guidance. That it may do whatever he commands. It on the face of an inhabited earth. Whether for correction or for his world or for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. Verse 19, teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot arrange our case because of darkness. You ever thought about it? If it's pitch black and you got no lights, how much work can you get done? If you can't see anything, what are you going to do? Turn the light on. The Almighty, verse 23, we cannot find him. He is exalted in power and he will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job on a whirlwind. (laughs) Don't talk to tornadoes. But anyway, the Lord answered Job out of a tornado. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you. And you instruct me. You know, every one of us in this room are guilty of this. Let me explain to you, God, what you need to do. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements? Since you know or who stretched the line on it. On what? Were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the sea with doors, when bursting forth it came out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment, a thick darkness of a swallowing band, I placed boundaries on it. I set a bolt and doors. I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall you proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of what ends of the earth, the wicked that are shaken out of it. And it's changed like clay under a seal. And they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld. An uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates 
of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. You know, it's an amazing thing. They've Some scientists sat around, I think they just, I don't know. They've calculated the weight of the earth. Okay, now, why? I, what do I know? But you know what something I do know about the earth? It's a ball. Okay, and it's spinning. It's kind of spinning fast if you think about it. Okay, and I do some change tires on motorcycles. And one of the things you have to do is spin balance it. So you put the tire on there, you get it blowed up, you put air in it and all the rest of it. And then I've got this machine that spins it, and then it shows me where I'm out of weight, and then I'll put a weight to counterbalance it on it so, so that when that tire rolls, it is in balance. Okay? And I usually I use a quarter-ounce weight. Sometimes they slide on the spoke, sometimes you stick them on the rim, whatever. If you go look at your car, your car tires have weights on them. Okay? The bigger the ball, or the bigger the sphere the more weight you have to have to balance it, okay? So if you take a great big 25-inch truck tire or 16-inch motorcycle tire, it's going to take a lot of weight to balance that thing on that truck and not so much for that motorcycle tire, okay? How big is the earth? You know what the earth has to be? You have to have the exact amount of terra firma that you do H2O. And it has to be exact. Because you know what? If this thing starts wobbling, we all in trouble. Have you ever thought about that? And yet it says here, hey, I measured it. And if you're so smart, tell me. Tell me. Where is the way of the dwelling in light? Verse 19. And darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory. So I can go take the light and put it back in its appropriate place. Okay. And that you may discern the paths of the home. You know that you were born there. The number of your days is great. Have you entered into the storehouses of snow? Or seen the storehouses of hail? Which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle. Where is the way that the light is divided? Or the east wind scattered on earth? Who has cleft the channel for the flood or the way of the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Has the rain a father who has forgotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice? And the frost of heaven, who has given it birth? Water has become like stone and the surface an imprisonment. You were created in the image of God. This God. This God. 
Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Or fix their rule over the earth? Verse 33. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost? Who has given the understanding of the mind? Who has counted the clouds with by wisdom? Who is on the tip of water jars of the heavens? When the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together. Can you hunt the prey before the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Even when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when its young cry to God and wander about without food? Do you know the time of the mountain ghost gives birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Do you count the months they fulfill? You can just keep going and going and going and going and going. And I don't know about you, but I've already read this multiple times. And all I can say emphatically is it hurts my head. So I'll close it. This part with chapter 42, the first six verses. Remember, God was explaining himself to Job. Job had an insight into God. But when God got done explaining, Job realized that his insight was just a tad bit lacking. So in chapter 42... Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you, And you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Got it? Get all that? Because let me tell you something. That's the God who wants to fill each of us. That God wants to enable you. That God wants to empower you. That God wants to make us powerful. That one who knows the storehouses of the snow. Who knows the storehouses of the hell? Who knows when the mountain goat will give birth? That one wants to do his good pleasure through us. Book of Psalms, chapter 17, verse 15. As for me, David says, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. 
I wonder how many people in this room right now can say, without a doubt, without even any concern, right now, I am totally, absolutely content. I know your righteousness. And I am content because of your righteousness. That inner strength leads to the indwelling Christ. That leads to a miraculous love that surpasses knowledge that will lead each and every believer into infinite fullness of God. When God's love is in us, it permeates through Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul in his epistles is always freaked out. That's a theological term. He's freaked out that he's in Christ. When that is going on, all of the fullness of God follows through all of us. All of it. I, I even stand this day overwhelmed. I've been looking at this for a while and thinking, how? How am I going to explain this? Have you ever thought of that potential? Okay. I'll give you one to think about. Look at the church. I don't care which one. Look at the church. It should be miraculous in what it's doing. And it should be filled with the fullness of God. Now, do you understand why the apostle says, I bow my knee? Because I've been studying this for some time. And you guys have gotten, what, two messages? No problem. Got it all figured out, don't we? All I know is the more I look at it, the more my head hurts. The more I look at it, the more I'm overwhelmed to be it. I want to be a representative dominated by the fullness of God. And I don't care if I have to be by myself. I like that idea for that reason. Next week, we'll look at the summary in 20 and 21. Call it the doxology of what we've been looking at. Let's pray. My King, my Lord, I don't have words. The most righteous man in the East repented in ashes and sackcloth. I don't even feel like I could do that. Father, I lift the bride to you. 
the body of Christ. Father, the silly things that we chase. And uh, you're the one who guides the dawn and brings the dusk. Hmm. Help us, Lord, as we uh, enter into this season of the Incarnation. Father, when we think about that little bitty baby, we realize that the gold was given was for a king. The frankincense that was given was for a priest. And the myrrh was used for embalming for the sacrifice. And yet that sacrifice is the one who controls creation. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen.